This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Really excited to be joined tonight by special guests. I think this is three or four years in a row now. Mike Clay from ESPN. Mike, welcome back to the Saturday Sunday Football Podcast. Hey, Paul. Uh, good to be back on the show. Um, you know, we're kind of uh, we're getting close now, right? I mean, we're through most of the or pretty much all the offseason activities in terms of roster movement. But, uh, we're, you know, we're kind of all finalizing our rankings. And now we're on to the stretch run here through the summer and into full on draft season. So uh, it's been it's been a fun ride here. Absolutely. And here at Saturday, Sunday, we continue to break down all things the draft rookies basically right up until August before we kind of turn the page and then start looking at the next wave of the college guys. But I wanted to bring you on to kind of pick your brain a little bit on these rookies in terms of, you know, immediate value, some long-term dynasty outlooks. Let's start right at the running back position. You know, Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, they kind of seem like the consensus top two where are your expectations maybe year one for them? Do you think that Michael Carter is going to be pushed to the back burner and it's just going to be mostly Brees Hall? Do you think Kenneth Walker is going to have to fight off, you know, uh, Rashad Penny, who, who finished strong down the year? Immediate initial reaction in terms of what you expect this year from them too. Yeah, so no surprise, but a, a better landing spot here for uh, Brees Hall, at least in the short term, or at least that's what it looks like right now. I mean, he's a certified three down back at least at the college level scored a ton of touchdowns I think it was like what 25 straight games he found the end zone uh, before he uh, didn't play in his in the bowl game at Iowa State so super young and steps into a role where he's going to be the lead back for the New York Jets uh, you know he should step in uh, I'd say 15 or so carries and a handful of targets each game now uh, the only drawback is you know unlike someone like you know, Najee Harris last year, uh, he's, he does have, you know, a complimentary back. He's going to have to deal with Michael Carter. Uh, did a nice job as a fourth round pick last year. He's going to stay involved in passing situations. And remember, that's kind of what we saw him as coming into the league, you know, a lot like uh, James Cook this year, right? Where you say, okay, this guy, maybe never a feature back, but should be a, uh, a he's a potential game changer in the passing game. That's kind of how Carter was viewed, but he stepped into a situation where there wasn't really any real competition. So he played a lot last year, but you know he's still a, a solid player, it seems, and he's going to be involved. So perhaps that limits Hall's ceiling a little bit, but uh, he is in situation again to push for maybe 20 touches some week. So uh, that's a good spot for him. Um, Kenneth Walker is one of the biggest wild cards as rookies in his first year because you have Rashad Penny, who was exceptional down the stretch last season and is currently the number one running back on the Seattle depth chart. Uh, but again, he misses so much time, right? He's missed substantial time throughout his career. And if he goes down again, that could vault Walker into a, a big role. And then, of course, the other wild card is Chris Carson, because he may never play in the league again. He might be out this whole season and then come back. He, or he could be cleared for week one and play a role right out of the gate. And if Hall and Carson are playing, or excuse me, if, uh, uh, Penny and Carson are playing a lot, and they also want to get the occasional touch or or activation for DJ Dallas or Travis Homer. They like on special teams. You know, where does that leave Walker without much of a role, frankly, out of the gate? So there's a lot of question marks in that Seattle backfield. It's also a team that very well could struggle uh, this season. So uh, I think it might take a little while before Walker is, uh, you know, a, a strong fantasy asset. 
Yeah, and I, I'm glad you brought up Michael Carter because I think it was last year when you came on the show, we were talking about how people were overvaluing Michael Carter and rookie drafts mm-hmm. and just the general feel, taking him over guys like Kadarius Tony, who was around one receiver with that draft capital. And it played out exactly why you have to play the percentages and play the odds. And I think you were at the forefront last year when I talked to you saying like, yeah, Michael Carter's a nice player. A lot of people liked him pre-draft, but we still have to put in the perspective that he did fall to round four. And this is why we have to be careful with that, which kind of, after I want to pick your brain on James Cook for a second, maybe what his ceiling is long-term, if you think he could be more than a pass catching back, we kind of then transition to those other guys, right? I know you're a little bit lower, just looking at some rankings across the industry on Rashad White in terms of dynasty rankings. Then there's Damian Pierce and that, that other debris, you know, conglomerate of running backs from Damian Pierce and Tyler Algier. So maybe a little bit about James Cook long-term upside and then kind of Pete through Rashad White and some of those other debris running backs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll, yeah. Like you said, I'll start with Cook here. Um, again, not, you know, not quite as big as his brother Dalvin, right. Who coming into the NFL, there was some concerns about, you know, his speed, but uh, you know, a bigger back that if he, if he was up to the NFL challenge would have been a feature back in the NFL. And that's how it worked out. Right. And Cook has been one of the best backs in the league the past five years. Uh, but again, James, not as big, right. He, he weighed in at 199. He's, he's 5'11". Uh, but he is a good athlete. You know, he tested really well, and he was very effective at Georgia as a pass-catching back. So, uh, you know, look, he's a good fit for the modern NFL, and the Bills clearly are looking for a passing down back. Now, Josh Allen hasn't had a history of throwing that position a lot, which, again, could limit Cook a little bit. It might not be a situation where he's kind of seeing five, six targets, but, uh, you know, when they're throwing the ball, which they do a lot, they do, they're a very pass-heavy offense. He should be on the field, again, if he's up to the – uh, challenge of the NFL here, but I do still think Devin Singletary is good enough to maintain that early down role. He's a good back and underrated back. So I think that's what you're going to see this year. Singletary on first down and, and, you know, normal second downs. And then you'll see James Cook in obvious passing situations. Maybe that's enough to put him on the flex radar and PPR, but uh, probably limits his upside a bit. And that could be the case long-term, but then again, you know, we've seen guys with this frame work out. So who knows? Maybe he gets to a position where he's seeing 15 to 17 touches in the league and is, a you know, an RB2 in fantasy. Maybe even flirts with RB1 numbers if he's really good. So uh, interesting landing spot for Cook and uh, interesting player for sure. And then White, yeah, I mean, I think there's been a, a lot of hype with him, you know, after the draft because of landing spot. But I've heard some some wild things. You know, people saying I, I saw one person say they'd be shocked if he was not a top 24 running back this year, uh, almost as if they're forgetting that Leonard Fournette is there. You know, like, what are we what are we doing here? You know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. This guy did not get a lot of pre-draft hype, but, you know, he lands in Tampa Bay and now um, everybody's kind of kind of all over him. And, and look, he's a day two pick. I get it to some extent. I get it long term in Dynasty. Uh, but, you know, I just I'm a little a little thrown off by where the, you know, the hype was before the draft. I mean, this is a guy that's already 23. He's one of the oldest running backs in this class and he had almost no experience in college, right? The guy went to Arizona state, you know, there should have been a path there to, uh, you know, playing, but he had a total total of 224 carries and 57 targets uh, in his career there. I mean, he only played 15 games. We just haven't seen a lot of that. Most of that was actually last season. And look, he was impressive last year, you know, had a you know big target share, um, but his efficiency kind of kind of average. Right. So uh, I don't know. He, he's tough. He's just he's older and doesn't have much experience. And now he's in a backfield where you have a clear feature back, Leonard Fournette, at least for this year. 
And then, you know, he's basically being handed the number two job. I don't think that's for sure. You know, Uh, they have Keyshawn Vaughn, who has been buried the past couple of years, but he's flashed when he's been called upon. Maybe he gets some work. And they also re-signed Giovanni Bernard, right? It's not like he was already locked in. They re-signed Giovanni Bernard to come back and, you know, maybe they work him a little bit as well. So, again, I, I get what people are seeing with Rashad White in terms of what if Fournette's out and White starts. I get that. I totally get that. But, I mean, man, in season long, in season long, his ADP has jumped up around round 10, which uh, just seems a little rich for me, especially when you look at some of the other names available in that area, especially at the wide receiver position. So, I don't know, just a little overrated slash overhyped right now. But, you know, down the road, perhaps he gets an opportunity. I, I will add one more thing, though. Keep in mind. You know, let's say next year he's handed the keys to that backfield and you have him in dynasty and you're feeling good about that. Uh, well, first of all, Tom Brady probably isn't going to be there. So it's going to be a big hit for the offense. But second, he's going to be 24 and a half years old. So if you're talking dynasty, it's not like you have this 22 year old, 21 year old, you know, star feature back high pedigree. I mean, this is a, you know, a, a late day two pick who's going to be 24 years old. Uh, at, the, at a minimum before he gets called on to start in the NFL. So I, I don't know, just again, uh, flashy player, but probably a little overvalued right now. Yeah, and I think you know this coming from someone who was a fan of his film evaluation in Rashad White, but I do agree with you in terms of people overvaluing him. I could see Bernard doing a lot of the pass catching work. I could see in terms of pass protection, Rashad White might not be ready there. And yeah, do I think Rashad White could be a 70 catch guy, Theo Riddick style, but also more rushing ability? Yeah. But we were also, like you said, assuming people are making the assumption that whoever the next quarterback is, is going to have that type of potential production, like James White in New England. And that's that's a very big unknown with, with Tampa Bay. And, and I, I think you're right. I think as much as I like him on film, and I think it's a pretty depressed running back rookie class, I think people are over overvaluing maybe his role short-term and even potentially long-term with the uncertainty of that offense. What about the day three, guys? Is there one or two that maybe pique your interest either in the short-term a little bit more or the long-term from that group of Tyler Algier, Damian Pierce, uh, Pierre Strong Jr., a couple of Brian Robinson actually snuck in the end of uh, day two as well. Anybody else from there that kind of piques your interest? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few of these guys to keep an eye on. You know, I liked Isaiah Spiller a lot. I know the consensus did as well pre-draft. He kind of fell to the fourth round, which was a bit of a shock, but – uh, you know, not not a great combine by any means, you know, struggled in the vertical and broad, which was not the case for most of the other top running backs. So he fell a little bit, but uh, a bigger back. And, you know, we're looking for a, or the Chargers have been looking for that complimentary bigger back for Austin Eckler, who straight up has said he doesn't want to be, you know, a feature back. He wants to rest a little bit and, and be 100% when he's on the field. So, you know, if they finally found that, you know, replacement for, I don't want to say Melvin Gordon necessarily, but, you know, kind of a mix of Melvin Gordon or Justin Jackson, kind of that that complimentary guy. Uh, Spiller could have some value uh, here in the short term and maybe long term if he's a good player. And, and Austin Eckler, you know, in a year or two, he's going to be, he might be out of the league, frankly, with the, uh, the age curve of running backs. You know, Spiller could get a, a nice opportunity in a great offense. So uh, like him, you, know, you mentioned Pierce, he's going to have an opportunity in Houston to, to compete with Marlon Mack right now to be the lead back. So he's a guy that could have short-term value for sure. And you mentioned Algier and uh, BYU, big back. I liked him pre-draft, good efficiency numbers, very intriguing. That's a backfield that doesn't have a clear-cut running back, right? Cordell Patterson's more of a, a hybrid player. And then Damian Williams is next up. Uh, and he's, you know, all, he, he's flashed at times, especially in Kansas City, but he's mostly been a complimentary back and he's in his 30s. So 
there's an opportunity there for uh, the BYU product. And then, yeah, Brian Robinson, you know, he's just blocked right now, right? You know, even if he does have a role uh, as a rookie here, uh, and, you know, there's chatter that he'll be kind of their big between the tackles back, but it's going to be a three-man backfield, right? Antonio Gibson's really good. He's not going anywhere. Uh, he's about the same age as Robinson as well. And then you have J.D. McKissick, who they brought back to be their passing down specialist. So this could be uh, a fantasy nightmare. Uh, you know, I think that Robinson's best path to starting in fantasy would be if Antonio Gibson were to get injured and he could kind of slide in to a, to a you know, the kind of that role, like the early down role, maybe gets 15 carries and, a, and an occasional target. That's his path. But otherwise, he's he's no more than kind of a late round flyer. And you know, it's tough because Gibson's not going anywhere, right? He's most likely going to be around certainly the next two years till his rookie deals up. And then at that point, you would expect them to re-sign him. Uh, maybe they won't. Who knows? I guess it depends how good Robinson is. But uh, it's it's tough. From a dynasty perspective, it's hard to see a path to consistent fantasy value. And that's the case for Davis Price in San Francisco as well. I mean, they hit on Elijah Mitchell. So why are they spending a day two pick on a running back? You know, uh, Trey Sermon's still in the mix there. They bring back Jeff Wilson. I, I just don't really know why they spent that pick. And uh, regardless, though, he's there, and it's going to be hard for him to find a path to uh, fantasy production anytime soon. Yeah, great points there, especially about Brian Robinson being blocked. Like, if they hadn't brought back J.D. McKissick, you might have saw an opening for Antonio Gibson to morph a little bit more into that versatile mm-hmm. offensive weapon and open up some stuff for Brian Robinson. But that obviously wasn't how it played out. So we'll have to kind of see if he pushes his way into the mix. Let's take this to the wide receivers. Obviously, six wide receivers taken in round one. Uh, you know, very close in terms of proximity also in terms of, you know, where they were taking. First off, for year one, who do you think maybe could have the biggest impact? And then dynasty question, how hard was it to kind of rank those guys who did have all pretty similar draft capital? I mean, we know, you know, Drake London went eight, but then Jahad Dotson and Traylon Burks went 16 and 18, and they were just like all kind of jammed into that. You know, does that make it a little bit tricky? Do you fall on pre-draft thoughts or just landing spots, quarterbacks, maybe just a little bit of your general process in terms of dynasty after a little bit of who you think for immediate production year one? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely tough when so many guys are picked right next to each other, but uh, I essentially left it how I had a pre-draft, right? Like I had Drake London one, I had Garrett Wilson two, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I know I, I know I had London one. I might add Wilson and, and Burks flipped around, but um, I basically left it exactly how I had a pre-draft. So London, Wilson, Burks, Jamison Williams, Chris Olave for me, but uh, you know, you could basically throw them five in a hat, I think, and pick them out and, and come away happy. This is a really good group. One of the reasons I had London, first pre-draft is that he is a year younger, a full year younger than Garrett Wilson over you know, about a year and a half younger than Traylon Burks, uh, four months younger than Jamison Williams and about a little over a full year younger than Chris Olave. So, you know, you could say they're roughly on even footing in terms of talent. Uh, you know, obviously they're different styles, but they're all very good high pedigree players, but he has a year on them. So that's, that's huge. Uh, and also in terms of short term, talk about a path to significant workload, right out of the gate. He's undoubtedly Atlanta's number one wide receiver, their top perimeter option. You're going to have uh, Kyle Pitts lining up all over the field. Of course, he can work on the perimeter a bit as well. Um, And London, by the way, you know, I said perimeter. I should, I don't, I mean, perimeter and slot, right? Like this guy can work all over the place. You know, you're going to have kind of uh, Pitts working a lot, I think, uh, you know, on the line and in the intermediate area playing some short range wide receiver, but uh, London can really do it on all levels of the field. So 
Uh, like him a lot, love the talent. Six foot four, he's gonna be busy near the goal line. Super young, path to massive workload right away. Uh, it's hard to really find issues with uh, Drake London. So he's number one. And again, uh, this this group is all super talented. Uh, I would really have no issue if you took any of these guys number one, or you know, with with the uh, uh, with your early first round pick in a rookie draft. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that. I kind of fell on my pre-draft rankings as well. And I think because, you know, landing spots matter, but they also things change very quickly, right? The quarterback situation in Atlanta is going to change very quickly. You know, the Washington situation mm-hmm. probably going to change quickly, right? Tennessee, who knows if Tannehill is there for the long haul and stuff like that. So I, I think that's probably the best, especially when they're all so close. If we kind of take to the day two wide receivers, I even think those guys, I mean, Sky Moore and Christian Watson are kind of getting the bump up because of the opening on the depth chart and the quarterbacks. Do you agree with that? Do you expect the media production, even though those guys are coming from smaller levels of competition? And then maybe some quick thoughts on like Jalen Tolbert or Wendell Robinson or a couple, any any of the other day two guys that maybe you're somewhat intrigued with either for this year or probably more long-term. Yeah. So more and Watson, I've kind of put together, you know, you mentioned them together. That's kind of how I felt about them all off season as well. Right. They're kind of tied to the hip because they're so similar in terms of uh, situation, right. Both second round picks who go to this, this Chiefs offense for Moore and this Packers offense for Watson that traded away their number one receiver and has a major question mark there despite having an elite quarterback. So, uh, you know, Moore is a guy I kind of had, you know, kind of had flagged before the draft as a guy I liked a lot. So obviously I love the landing spot here with Kansas City. He's also super young, right? He's under 22 years old, uh, you know, big hands, tested well, super, super, super productive. So, uh, like him a lot. And then, of course, Watson's a bit older, right? He's going to be 23 years old. Uh, he absolutely crushed it at the combine, one of the best showings there. He's six foot four, but he also played at a small school. Uh, and as I mentioned, he's a little older. So um, it's, a little, it's a little tricky to sort out. Oh, I should also mention, I guess, Watson, you know, uh, more pedigree, right? They were both second round picks, but the Packers traded up a ton to move up to the front of the second round to get him. It's more went a little bit later in the round, but, uh, you know, nonetheless, very similar situations. Uh, the way I've been kind of approaching it is, look, uh, especially in, in season long, right, when you're kind of in the double-digit rounds and these guys are on the board, at that point you have your starters, you're looking for dart throws, you're looking for guys that if they hit are going to win your league, and if they don't, you could just drop them, right? They're, they're kind of low-risk moves. You know, and these guys are in situations where if they're the real deal, and look, a lot of second-round wide receivers have hit the past five years or so, right? It's been kind of a money – the money – round for wide receivers not even the first the second's been huge you know if they hit it's a potential league winning move right so and and again it's a low risk so that's why i'm looking at more and watson in drafts this year just because if it works out i mean so so much upside in these offenses yeah, for sure. And, you know, when you're attached to those two quarterbacks, obviously, you know, the potential is there. Any any other day two wide receivers that pique your interest, whether Tolbert, Wandell, or anybody else? Yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch, obviously, right? So following those guys my, in, in my ranks, George Pickens in Pittsburgh, John Mechie, who's, you know, kind of undervalued right now because he's coming off uh, the injury as well, right? Alabama product was super productive down in the with the Crimson Tide so I think he's a, a guy I've been taking a late round flyer on in some uh some best ball leagues Alec Pierce is interesting he could be a starter right away opposite Michael Pittman in a pass offense it should be pretty good uh to Jalen Tolbert I like a lot you know there's been positive reports a lot and you know he's a little older so maybe not quite as appealing in dynasty but 
I mean, think about this. Think about how good the Cowboys offense has been. Scores a lot, pass heavy. They're going to go into week one. Just imagine week one right now. They're lining up. You're going to have, obviously, Dalton Schultz out there. You're going to have Zeke Elliott in the backfield or Tony Pollard. You're going to have CeeDee Lamb out there. And then you're going to have, what, you know, uh, Michael Gallup's probably going to be on the IRPUP list to start the season. It'd be shock coming off that injury if he plays right away. And then James Washington, you know, like they – Tolbert very well could start and he might be the number two receiver for this Dallas Cowboys offense in week one. So a very interesting uh, late round flyer and season long, you know, I have a little bit of exposure in dynasty though. Again, he is 23 and a half years old. So just keep that in mind. So there's just a couple guys that I'm keeping an eye on. Yeah, for sure. And last question of the day, Mike, Uh, we know quarterbacks, tight ends, we're probably not going to get much immediate production from those guys. If you were in a deep dynasty league and you could just stash them away for two, even three years down the line, would your pick at quarterback and tight end because of draft capital be the chalk, Kenny Pickett and Trey McBride? Or if you were just kind of stashing them away for a rainy day, would you pivot to any of the other rookie tight ends or the other quarterbacks who were taken two rounds later? but maybe have some more running upside. Yeah. I mean, I did take uh, Ritter late in a rookie draft. I, I'm, I didn't love it. You know, I mean, any quarterback picked after the first round is a, a, an extreme long shot to pan out. Right. So like, especially Sam Howell, who I thought maybe was a little underrated falling to the fifth round base of basically from a fantasy perspective or a, even a panning out from an NFL standpoint, uh, kind of kind of crushing, right? Those look at the list of fifth round quarterbacks; it's just not very good, and it's not that good for third rounders either, which doesn't paint a good picture for guys like Ritter, Corral, and Willis. So, you want to take a late round flyer based on their running ability, and you know, there's always an exception to the rule. Fine, no major issue with that. Pickett's the only guy I'd really feel fine about uh, adding to my roster and feel good about it because of that pedigree, that first round pedigree, right? So. Uh, at tight end, I mean, Trey McBride's the guy I want to stash away. You know, it's not going to work out short term with Zach Ertz there, but once he gets a shot, uh, you know, could actually, it could be kind of like Zach Ertz's old running mate, right? It could be kind of a Dallas Goddard situation where McBride's kind of fighting just to get to maybe even a 10% target share for a year or two. But once he gets that opportunity could bloom into a star in this league. So like him a lot and, you know, more in the short term, I'm looking at Kate Otten in Tampa Bay, right? He, there's already chatter. He could start right away for this Buccaneers offense. We know he's going to throw a lot and we'll score a lot of touchdowns. Cam Brates there. They could still sign a Jared Cook or Eric Ebron type. We'll keep an eye on that. But uh, on, look, a long shot to be fantasy relevant uh, short term. Yes. I mean, all rookies are at the tight end position, but on the same token, last year we saw two exceptions to the rule, right? Not just Kyle Pitts, who, you know, he's kind of in his own world, but even Pat Fryermuth was, uh, I believe he scored the 11th most points ever for a rookie tight end. So maybe the tide's turning a little bit at that position is possible. And we know Otten is going to have some opportunity here. Uh, a guy that was, you know, he went in the fourth round, but uh, he was pretty high on a lot of boards. I think Lance Erline over at NFL.com, uh, I really respect his work. Uh, I think he had a number one on this board, if he I did. recall correctly. So, yes. you know, he's a, a talented player and uh, drawn some Austin Hooper comps as well. So, uh, he's a guy I'm, I actually have a little, I have a lot of exposure to in Dynasty. It took him a, late and a lot, but uh, if you're in a two tight end league short term, not a bad guy to have on your bench. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think with the influx of more college game coming to the NFL, we might start to see tight ends a little bit more viable early on in their NFL careers. NFL teams maybe understanding how to maximize their skill set for sure. We saw that last year a little bit, and we'll see if that trend could potentially continue this year. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure most of my audience is following you, but please let them know where to follow you on Twitter. If you're working on anything specific that you kind of want to plug over at ESPN, please let them know. Yeah, uh, Mike Clay NFL on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, obviously, more a lot more active on on Twitter uh, with all the, the stat nuggets and all that fun stuff. But um, uh, ESPN.com for all the content. You know, we have a lot of uh, a lot of content lined up for the summer. We have fantasy focused podcast. You know, I'll be dipping into daily wager uh, next month as we talk some props for next season, player props. So uh, a lot going on as always in the world of the NFL. Absolutely, guys. Make sure you're following Mike. Make sure you're checking out his amazing projections over at ESPN and all his great content, read and form, and on the podcast as well. So, on behalf of Mike, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.